Hi and welcome to Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier. Today I'll be introducing you to two Australian female authors. Firstly, Inga Simpson to talk about her book, The Last Woman in the World, and then Fiona Palmer and her latest novel is called The Long Weekend, but more about the, these two very talented writers shortly. My thanks, of course, to our podcast partners, that's CSCG. 2022 could be a chance for you to rebuild your financial future, to plan your financial future, to sort out your tax, to sort out your superannuation, uh, to sort out your life. Well, they'll help you with all of those things, well, most of those things. Uh, CSCG are the people to talk to. They're terrific people. Give them a call, have a chat on double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website and have a look at uh, the people you're dealing with, what they have to offer, the services they have. They've got great expertise in every field that you can imagine, uh, in the accounting area, in the taxation area, the superannuation area, and financial planning. Uh, so uh, check out their website, cscg.com.au, or give them a call, as I said, on double nine seven four. Eight triple three. First up today, Inga Simpson. Uh, Inga has got a really interesting uh, sort of niche that she's uh, got herself into, uh, which is very much her passion as well, and that's writing uh, with the planet in mind when she writes. But she also writes really very good page-turning fiction that will have you wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, this book is called The Last Woman in the World, so let's meet the author, Inga Simpson. Hello. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Feels like the world's opening up again, making plans, you know, festival bookings for next year. Life's resuming. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. How have you uh, have you found the reaction to the book? Uh, the reviews, the, the couple of reviews I've read so far have been really good. Yeah, so far so good. That feeling when uh, you when you put a book out, when you actually, I mean, you physically get it in your hand and then you know it's going to reviewers and you know it's going to people like me to do interviews and all that sort of stuff. How do you handle yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's a great – well, it's not hard to handle. That's a great feeling. That's the best part of it, when you start to think all the hard work might pay off. A bit of anxiety too, you know, what will people think and yep. how will they react? And I guess this book was a little bit of a departure for me. So some nervousness about how some of my existing readers might, might react to it. But so far, so good. Yeah, you, you talk about the diversity of your writing. Where does that all sort of come from? Does that come from the, the, the you know, you started, you're, you're working in Parliament and doing writing, you've been writing professionally almost all your life. So did did that sort of filter in and then all of a sudden it was, I think I've got some ideas for some novels? <laughs> I always wanted to be a creative writer. I mean, research and professional writing is just sort of what I did or what I ended up in accidentally. You know, I was a real general generalist in terms of my studies and my interests. I ended up, yeah, in, in Parliament and then the Commonwealth Ombudsman. So all that was fairly accidental. You know, my first, as a reader, speculative fiction was my first love, really. So it may be the bigger question is why it took me so long to come, <laughs> come around to actually writing some, yeah. You, you mentioned uh, in one of the interviews I saw that you're an only child, so you were you're making stuff up to amuse yourself. Is that is that is this just an extension of that process in many ways? Yeah, I guess so. I'm always kind of writing in my head, if that makes sense. Um, coming up with sentences, getting story ideas. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, other writers are probably the same, though they weren't only children, but um, necessarily. So, yeah, I guess that's part of it. And my conversation with the natural world, you know, I'm having responses all the time to the natural world around me and thinking how would I try and express those experiences in words or how would I 
convey them in a story or getting a story idea from that. Yeah, I mean, I guess my books are all quite different, but to me they are all the same and it's this conversation with and about my relationship with nature. Yeah. When, when did this one, when did the idea for this one come? About halfway through the year before the fires, whenever that was. So 2019, 19, yeah. about halfway. So I had, had almost finished a first draft when the bushfires, um, you know, black summer occurred and then interrupted the writing process actually and then uh, all that found its way in a fairly raw form into The Last Woman in the World. Yeah. I've been. I don't know if you've watched it. I've been watching the um, the ABC series that they've done on on the fires um, of recent times, which has been a, a, a dramatization of, of what went on, and just it's it's bloody frightening. How how close did to all that did you get? Oh, I was very close. It was all around me for months, really, and you know, in a, a literal sense, it came within a kilometre um, of where I live. On uh, my house, of my settlement, and it's a really heavily treed, sort of surrounded by forest little area, so very much at risk. It really came very close on three sides. You know, the next settlement went up um, as, as, you know, was sort of one of the expressions of the time, you know, oh, blah has gone up or blah has gone, you know, there's really extreme kind of statements. But, yeah, there was just a wind change. I evacuated very early on New Year's Eve and didn't know, went to bed that night not knowing what had happened and was able to get back in the next day and fairly surprised to find our settlement pretty much untouched. But, yeah, it was a late wind change, 15 minutes and it would have all gone up, you know, like the next one. Wow. A lot of luck. So fires, pandemics. You roll all those <laughs> things together and and, put, and sort of sprinkle them through the book. Yeah, I mean, I had the structure there already and then the fire narrative added in a new layer and then kind of, uh, I think, broadened the scope of the book. So I remember having a moment after the fires had, you know, that had finally ended, um, the Currawan fire was finally out, you know, having however many months later after really heavy rain. So, you know, then there were floods. Yeah, yeah, right. All these trees down, you know, roads cut and everything all over again. And I just had this sense, really strong sense of the planet trying to heal itself, Yep. you know, that everything really being connected, um, including, you know, viruses running rampant and so on. So that added a kind of um, broader perspective which Ray has in the book about, you know, what we're doing to ourselves. And so where did Rachel come from? When, when, when did Rachel appear to you? Probably from the get-go. I wanted okay. a character who was physically strong and capable but then had these vulnerabilities, you know, a damaged person who's hidden themselves away from the human world and then, you know, is called upon to help in a crisis. And I guess the least likely person you'd, you'd expect to be helpful in a crisis, but she is actually strong and capable, stronger than she knows. Yeah. And um, really good in the natural world. So she can, you know, navigate an old-fashioned map without um, any phone or apps and navigate a variety of physical landscapes. So putting her up against, you know, one challenge after the the other to 
to see what she's really made of. But it was really about that initial conflict. You know, does she continue to hide away or does she step out and help this mother and child and, in a way, the world as well? How much of the book do you want people to know about before they they pick it up and take it home and (laughs) hide under the doona while they read it? (laughs) I don't know. In a way, the less the better. Yep. Um, perhaps if about the story, perhaps uh, for people who uh, have already read some of my books and like the focus on nature, I think it's probably worthwhile reassuring them that there's plenty of that in there. That although probably initially I wanted to write a very write in a very different style, you know, and I think it is a faster paced book than my others, but. I don't know. I feel like it's still an. So it didn't start out like that. It did. That wasn't how it started. I had a couple of goes of writing it early on, you know, going for a much sparer kind of language, and I just couldn't do it until I could relate Rachel to the landscape. I just so then I just went back to writing how I normally write, you know, and just trying to get the story down and trying to get it, you know, right the right form for this story for this these characters. They cross some amazing landscapes that yeah. were damaged. And, it starts, yeah, I couldn't let that go unnoticed. It starts so dramatically. Were you worried that the, the, the frenetic pace of the beginning and the, and the kind of the franticness, if there's such a word, uh, of, of the beginning was going to be hard to keep going? Yeah, definitely. And that is hard to maintain. It's quite tiring. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are constant obstacles and this – the threat yep. um, that has impacted initially locally is all they know. Um, they find out more as they go on. But, yeah, this this bigger, more extreme threat, you know, in the background and getting closer and closer, pursuing them really. Yeah. It's pursuing them. So as our fears pursue all of us. Yeah. But it was the main challenge of the writing. How do you maintain a certain pace and build, keep building that pace? I mean, you've got to leave yourself somewhere to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do, do you storyboard your, your your books, or do you do you know where it's going with this one? Did you know where you were going with it, or did 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 that changes as the writing developed? Yeah, I don't storyboard. I have a rough idea. I'll have certain key plot points uh, in my mind that I'm sort of aiming towards, and I just like to see what happens. If I knew everything that was going to happen when I started writing, I'd get I'd get really bored. Yeah. So and just feel like it was just plotting. So you know, back in the office. So yeah, I like to have it evolve organically. You know, from the writing process as much as possible from my subconscious. A much better storyteller yeah. than my conscious brain, I think. Yeah. You know, and you have these themes and elements there. I made Ray. You know, getting back to Ray, I made her a glassmaker glass blower, which is kind of a tougher, more industrial uh, art form than you'd think. So she's, again, physically capable of making these high-end artworks, but there's a fragility to them. You know, molten glass, you know, you can mould it into almost anything if you're skilled enough and you have the kit. But, you know, once it's finished, it's pretty fragile. So that was sort of my metaphor for, for Ray, but maybe also the planet. And there's something elemental about Glowing glass, you know, you need fire. Um, you know, it kind of comes from the earth from sand. You know, and the fires fit in with, you know, remembering I didn't have um, the fires in mind initially. So mm. bushfires fit in with the glass making. 
So those things just started to lend themselves to themes and plot ideas and then character developments. So. There's a lovely imagery too with with glass blowing and that whole uh, the the language of it and describing it is just is it it just leaps off the page, doesn't it? It's just be, be, must have been a really nice thing to write about in terms of you know being able to use the language. Yeah, thanks. That's probably how I got into her character. You know, having her do something. Yep. And yeah, I think it's a beautiful and really challenging form. But yeah, so beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, that was a nice way to to ground the story in the beginning. You know, that's the world she's. In a way, it's a beautiful world that she's made for herself in this beautiful cottage by a river and a forest, you know, making glass and she doesn't really have to go anywhere, which is an introvert. She doesn't want to go anywhere. (laughs) No, she doesn't. She doesn't. Nor does she want anyone to come anywhere near it. No, she's surprised when someone turns up, yes. Did you surprise yourself as you went along with this book in in where it went? Yeah, there are a few surprises. The, um, The overall... You know what I ended up doing with that. Um, I probably wasn't sure what I was doing with that for a long time. I had a how much to reveal, um, you know whether I could pull it off. Yeah, and I I sort of again played to my strengths instead of going for something kind of a more of a physical, tangible threat. It's almost psychological, mm. and yeah, linking back again to the, the themes of the, the state of the planet and how we treat the planet and, and each other and kind of our inner world yeah. uh, is, is what I drew on. You, yeah, you made a tree change and you wrote a, you wrote a book about your tree change. Uh, your, your connection with, with trees, with the planet, with the, the, explain that to me a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always been there. I grew up on a property and used to roam kind of the, the wilder part of that property on my own from quite a young age and explore that. And I was happiest there, definitely. Mm-hmm. That really formed who I am. My father taught me to sort of pay attention to the natural world, you know, in a physical sense, pointing out this or that, but also through photography. So he was a keen photographer and he taught that to me. So including kind of macro shots of, of lichen on, on really rough bark and things like that. So colour and texture, um, identifying species, you know, he probably gave me that. And then, yeah, the tree change, getting to know a whole new landscape and the little the patch around me, living quite embedded in a, in a forest, you know, lots of bird life every day, you know, dozens of different species of birds coming to the bird bath. You know, I just started looking them up, learning what they were. Mm. You know. in, in the decade I was there, by the time I left, I could identify a bird not just from its call but how it bathed in the bird bath. Oh, really? Oh, you know, wow. They make different sounds, yeah. You can tell, you know, a robin makes a particular sound, uh, really a lot of splashing around. Other birds kind of just dip into it. You know. So it was the opportunity to observe in, in close proximity, you know, such um, abundant wildlife that changed my life and it coincided with getting published, um, kind of finding my writing voice. So, mm. And the genre of nature writing, reading Thoreau and um, Barry Lopez and Rick Bass and Annie Dillard and, you know, then this whole literature that was out there that I didn't, hadn't discovered. So kind of emerging of the, the creative life and, and my physical life. Is this book kind of the, uh, I guess, the melting pot of all the things that you, you wanted to get into your writing are all sitting there in this book? A lot of them, yeah. Um, I've always wanted to do a road trip. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Narrative. So that's that's kind of in there. Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of my writing until this book had been fairly gentle, and certainly the experience of the fires. COVID's in there as well, but it's more about the impact of the bushfires on me. That did really change me. Um, you know, being evacuated a couple of times, it's all very stressful. But the bigger picture for me is the damage to the area where I live. I mean, and you know, the whole country. We lost, I think, 60% of our Gondwanan forest. I mean, that alone's huge. Mm. But the area where I live, we lost 80% of our forest or 80% of our forest burned. So that's, you know, from Nowra down to Eden. You can't not see that everywhere you go when you drive around. So, and I've been back walking places I've known since I was a child and seen the damage and just the the extent of it and the severity of it really changed me on a pretty fundamental level. So there's a lot of that in this book, if you like, that grief and I guess some even some anger at the lack of action or, you know, the state we find ourselves in. So, yeah, the human responsibility for the state of the planet. You know, my own culpability in that too. So there's a lot of that. Um, passion, if you like, in the book or that that big shift. So shifting out from just a really romantic view of nature to more of a realist view, I think, is is found its way in there, maybe. Yeah. You've already started work on the next one, I, I see. Yeah. I Before writing The Last One in the World, I had already started a cricket novel and I put it down to um, put it on pause to finish The Last One in the World because it yep. was contracted to Little Brown in the UK. And, yeah, I've, I've gone back to the cricket novel, you know, after a long absence, which is quite hard. I've never done that before. So I've just submitted the first draft, actually. But it, it was very hard to drop back to a, a very differently paced book and a completely different subject matter and different characters. So, yeah, that's been a challenge. Yeah. Well, congratulations on uh, The Last Woman in the World. Well done. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, I hope it's uh, as successful as uh, it is riveting to read because uh, it's it's got a pace about it uh, and a kind of there's a it, it sort of makes your heart rush a little at the at the start that kind of that anticipation that anxiety you feel you actually feel it through the pages of the book which is you know, quite unique. Oh, thank you. That's really good to hear. That means I've done my job. Well. Yeah, no, you've certainly done yeah. your job very well. Thank you so much for having <laughs> a chat with uh, with me on the on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on, Kevin. Yeah, pleasure. cheers. Really nice Absolute to talk pleasure. with you. The Last Woman in the World is the name of the book. Make sure you check it out. It's a very good read and we uh, look forward to seeing what Inga's got uh, coming up for us in the future. Obviously, some that she's already working on right now. Turn our attention now to our second author today on podcast and that is Fiona Palmer. This is Fiona's uh, fifth novel. She has a very colourful background uh, before she became a writer and, uh, in fact, uh, combines that with a a really uh, hands-on job these days. And you'll find out all about that as we speak to the author of The Long Weekend, Fiona Palmer. Thank you for doing the podcast. I really appreciate your time. No problem. (laughs) Is this the, uh, the, the most... Difficult part of being the author is talking about the book and reflecting back on on your work. Um, no, no, it's probably the easier bit. The hardest bit is the editing process. I think that's quite daunting. This is a really interesting uh, way to go about uh, the the subject matter of this book, uh, the long weekend. 
it, really interesting because it's a it's a, a writer's retreat in a, a lovely mm-hmm. little spot, obviously in WA, uh, in a, a beautiful little resort type uh, uh, area. Is a writer's retreat something you've done? Yeah, quite often. Because I live out in the middle of nowhere in the in the country. I'm a long way from, you know, everyone in the city, they get together and catch up uh, with other authors and stuff. So it doesn't happen a lot for me, but I've got two very close author friends, um, Anthea Hodson and Rachel Johns. And we often, when we're stuck in our writing processes, we're like, okay, let's do a little writer's retreat. And we'll pick a spot and we'll go there together. And uh, uh, we support each other, I suppose. You know, we get stuck, we help each other, we... We make ourselves write, write oh, 2,000 words, and then we go for a walk, stretch our legs, come back, do another 2,000 words. So we find they are so good for getting our work done. So I kind of it was from a writer's retreat, actually, where this story came about. And, um, yeah, I just sort of put a bit of a spin on it. <laughs> Oh, well, you certainly did. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some massive spins uh, on it. The messages that uh, that early in the book uh, talked about, you know, connecting with your your reader and all those sorts of things. Are they are they like a little checklist you have up on the wall when you when you sit down to write, or are they just um, inherently inside you somewhere? Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm one of those people that well, I didn't finish school. Um, left after year eleven. English was like my worst subject, but I loved telling stories. <laughs> just can't spell. So um, for me, it's very, it's very organic. I always say I'm a jack of all trades but master of none. So I'll put my hand to anything, but I'm not brilliant at it. Um, a lot of stuff just sort of comes organically. And I guess the same with writing books. It, I've watched enough movies and read enough books to sort of know how it should go. And I think when I'm writing, my process is if I'm getting bored, the reader's getting bored, you yeah. know. So it, I just sort of... I go with it. Um, I mean, as you progress with each book, you, you hope you learn and you get better at certain things. So um, the craft of writing is never stops. So you, your background is, is working on the farm and, I mean, you were a speedway driver. It was almost a family business. Those two things, where did, where did writing sort of start to emerge for you? Was it, a, was it an escape from the, the physical work that you did elsewhere? Yeah, pretty much. Like I, um, At the time I started writing, I had a one small child and I'd just given birth to another and mum and I were in a business running the local shop here, uh, a partnership, and our husbands both had work. So, you know, it was, everything was down to us and we were just so busy. I I couldn't, you know, scratch myself, let alone read a book. So huh. at work, you know, doing cleaning, whatever, I would think about this story that just kept coming in my mind. That was my escape. and. Um, seeing as I'd been to secretarial school and learned how to touch type really quick, I, in my moments, I would start writing the story down. So it's just, some, you know, whether I had 15 minutes, half an hour, I could go in, get a paragraph done, et cetera, and yeah, over three years, ended up with my very first book. So was romance novel, that, that genre, something that just naturally you, you fell into? I think so. I mean, romance for me is is key. I think... Uh, the very first books I remember reading in primary school were Danielle Steele's because that's all mum had on her bookshelf. <laughs> so, um, you know, <laughs> romance was the key and rom-coms are my favourite kind of movies and everything like that. I- I'll read any genre as-, as long as there's a romantic thread. So it's what pulls me in. And the rest was uh, living, you know, writing about where I live. So uh, writing a rural story. Well, it wasn't really, I didn't even know rural stories existed back then. Yeah. Um 
So I just wrote what I lived and I guess. There's a, for the for the people who live in the in the city the the city slickers there's a romance about the country that that they feel that often isn't felt by the people who actually live there. Yeah, you're the, definitely. You're, you're the people who actually get your hands dirty, whereas we're the ones who drive through in our cars with the air conditioning yeah. turned up full bore and think, oh, this is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> I still think it's beautiful. I mean, every day, like I go to work, get up early. At the moment, we're harvesting. Uh, you know, whether you're doing. 12 to 17 hour days, it's still worth it for that sunrise and sunset. Yeah. And, you know, you knock off and you're out in the paddock at night and the sky is full of stars. It is, to me, <laughs> romantic. It's just amazing. Um, and that's what keeps inspiring me to, yeah, keep going and, and love living where I am and working where I am. Given given what you do for, uh, for you know, the, the 90% of the of the time that you're yeah. on, the, on the planet, where does the, the characterisations, where do they come from? Oh, they they come from everywhere, you know, especially with this book. I sort of had the characters in my mind roughly. Sometimes I'll start with a setting, like my next book set at Karajini, and I kind of worked back from there. And other times a character will present itself and or like a plot, and I'm, I'll work with that. But I went searching one day. It was probably procrastinating. But I went, you know, sometimes I go looking for photos of my characters, you yeah, know, yeah. just something to look at, and I come across this beautiful girl and she had scars all over her face and that just totally altered my book i went that's that's going in there so uh she became beth and yeah, yeah it, it was amazing just we inspire you never know where it's going to come from <laughs> all right well where'd you find where did you find a photo of jamie uh, one of the characters yeah. in this book <laughs> i think i've probably searched too much for him <laughs> <laughs> jamie's a gym in, uh, gym owner and uh, and yeah. one of those one of those men who walks into a room and women go <gasps> <laughs> yeah, personal trainer, look out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, need yeah. to be careful of those. Yeah. I mean, that, that was good to put him in a different world, you know, of writers. <laughs> that was good. Was this an easy book? Uh, did it come easily? To begin with, no. I was always sort of in a flat spot, struggling for ideas, you know. I think <laughs> the well was empty and... So I went on this you know, writer's retreat with uh, my friends and oh, I'll tell you what, you get together with like-minded people and all of a sudden you spark all your inspiration again and ideas come along. And um, But once you get there, uh, it sort of builds and builds and it, it became easy in the end. It sort of wrote itself. Yeah. You know, I had, I had one character that I really didn't like, but by the end of the book, I, I felt, you know, I, I grew to learn her backstory and then, you know, fell in love with her as much. You know, as I was writing, it surprised me. So very, very different. So you've answered the next question that I, w- I normally ask around this time is, you know, what are the plans for the next book? You've already got the, the location and you've obviously started writing it. Yeah, it, it's finished. I've done the first structural edit on it, waiting for the next sort of round in um, February, I think it's coming out, uh, the, my edit that is. So, yeah, that's pretty much getting to its final stages. and. Um, well, I've been sitting on the header all day for, you know, 14 hours a day. I um, thought <laughs> up that the next book, so it's is handy. So do you keep notes? Do you, do you have a little recorder that you, you, you know, oh, I'll get I'll get Jamie to do so-and-so or I think Jamie yeah. should do Do you do that? Definitely. I never used to because everyone's like, oh, I just record your voice. Oh, I hate listening to my voice. So, But then I found this speech-to-text uh, uh, yeah, speech app 
Um, so I just talk into that. I mean, it gets it wrong, but at least most of my thoughts are down. And then I can just email that to myself and put in a Word document and then start start my process from there. So, yeah, that's been very handy. So, you know, after spending 14 hours on the header, when do you write? When When's your, when's your happy place? or When, when and <laughs> yeah. where are your happy places to write? Well, um, I have a set system because I've been working as a farmhand for oh, seven years now. So I give up all my time devoted to harvest and seeding um, because, you know, she can't even operate, let alone think how to write a book. Um, <laughs> when you're doing those hours, but I've got to set in between. It's after seeding, I write the next book and get that done before harvest. And then sort of after harvest is all the editing process and the new book comes out. And uh, and then we start the whole thing again. So year in, year out. It'll be a system now. So Has the reaction to your, to your book surprised you that people, you know, obviously people will either write your letters or send your emails or stop you in the street, maybe not in the street so much. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, and tell you about, you know, their experience of loving reading your book? Yeah, definitely. I love all the emails or, you know, through social media, I like to be engaged with the readers, especially because I'm out in the middle of nowhere. But, um, you know, I usually try to get to field days and um, book events. So I've got a few lined up um, in February next year for the, uh, this book. So, yeah, that, that's the fun part, I guess. Are your parents still your senses for your sex scenes? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I think I think I've got a bit better because um, I don't hear too much these days, so that's good. So you haven't you haven't had the Fiona. This is way too vulgar conversations too often. No, no. Earlier on, I got a fair bit of that, but either that or they've just um, adjusted to my writing style. <laughs> When you when you get the book in your hand, when you get the long weekend in your hand, and it's you know it's out there for people to be able to buy in bookshops and that, what's that sense of, of feeling for you? Um, well, Mick, you know, there's the excitement. I oh, look at this pretty shiny cover and all those words. I did that. I can't believe it. I actually made it. And then there's that whole fear of, gosh, people are going to read this. <laughs> 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 will they like it? Will they not? Um, will they judge me? <laughs> all those. Other things, so yeah. No, it's a, it's a great achievement. It's a great body of work that you've done up until now, and obviously plenty more to come. Uh, so, congratulations yeah. on, on what you've done so far. Well done on the long weekend. It's a ripping little read, and uh, <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, thank you so much for spending some time on the podcast. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for the chat. The Long Weekend is the name of the book. Fiona Palmer is the author. Uh, obviously got a busy schedule uh, on the farm uh, to get to as well as, uh, as writing uh, a terrific series of books that she's uh, had coming out, and that is her fifth novel, The Long Weekend. My thanks to Fiona Palmer, my thanks to Inga Simpson, my thanks to Hatchet Publishing, who published uh, both the books that we've talked about today. And, of course, my thanks to you for listening and my thanks to CSCG, my podcast partners, uh, and they are the people to talk to if you want to sort out your finance answers for the year ahead, now's the time to do it. Give them a call on 9974 or jump on the website and uh, you'll find out all about them there, cscg.com.au. If you're on a break, enjoy it. If you're back to work, oh well, it's, uh, you're never too busy to find some time to be able to sit down and open the pages of a book and enjoy it. And we'll talk about more on the Authorised Podcast. Where you found this particular episode, you'll find a whole lot more uh, and some great authors we've spoken to over the uh, history of this podcast. So go back and check a few of the older ones out. Uh, until the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care of yourself. See you soon.